Well, good evening. It's good to be with you this evening. As was said a while ago, it's been a good day. Good day weather-wise, good day in spirit as we come to study and talk about the things of God. If you've got your Bible, we're going to begin in the book of Genesis in just a moment. Genesis chapter 4. It is one of the oldest continuing activities known in the world. It's found in small villages in Philippines and secret places in China. It's found throughout this country in storefronts and front rooms and old, old buildings and brand new huge structures. And that is the concept of worshiping God. And when we think about that idea, when we read our Bibles, it is the one connection we have to those very, very first Christians. Their world is so different than our world. And our world is so different than their world. We speak a different language. We dress differently. They would not believe how we travel. They would not believe the jobs we have. They would not believe the medical practices we have. There's been so much difference from the first century world to where we are today. Yet one thing remains constant, and that is the worship of God. We've been doing a little series here, and we've been talking about Can I Know? And as Jason mentioned in his sermon this morning, there's lots of things in life we don't know. We don't know what the outcome of this upcoming election is going to be. We don't know who's going to be in the Super Bowl this year. We don't even know if there's going to be a tomorrow. But when we look in our Bibles, there are certain things that we can know, big things. And one of them, as we begin this series, is whether I'm saved or not. That's huge. And we don't want to walk through life with, well, I hope so. I got my fingers crossed. Because if we miss this, we miss it all. And so that lesson is there on our website. If you want to go back and listen to that, the idea that I can know that I'm saved. Our second part of this series was, can I know what is right? And again, that is essential when we think about the important things. Uh, if I am believing a lie, if I have been deceived, I go through life believing things that are not true, it's going to impact me. So can I know what is right? And as we went through that lesson, there's a vast majority of people today who believe there is no absolutes. So right is based upon how I feel, how I want. And that lesson also is available on our website. And so tonight we move on to the third segment of this series. That is, can I know how to worship God? And again, this is essential. And just the idea of what worship is and how important that is. God wants us to worship him. We are made, as Larry said, as creatures to worship him. As you studied anthropology or civilization, every civilization has worshipped something. My worship the river, they might worship the stars, they might worship a rock, but they all knew that there's something greater than me. The question is, can I know how to worship God the right way? So let's begin now in the book of Genesis and chapter 4, and we're going to begin with Cain and Abel. It's really one of the first worship services we find in our Bibles. Genesis chapter 4, verses 3 through 8. There the Bible says, So it came about in the course of time that Cain brought an offering of the Lord of the fruit of the ground. Abel, on his part, verse 4, also brought of the firstlings of the flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and for his offering. 
But for Cain and for his offering, he had no regard. So Cain became very angry, and his countenance fell. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why has your countenance fallen? Continues on in verse 7. If you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? But if you do not do well, sin is crouching at your door, and its desires for you, but you must master it. Cain told Abel his brother, and it came about when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. In the book of 1 John chapter 3, it says that the, the deeds of Cain were evil or wicked. And we look in the book of Hebrews chapter 11. The Hebrew writer would say it this way, By faith, Abel offered to God a better sacrifice. Now, there's a lot of people who get the idea that the problem with Cain's sacrifice was his attitude. And if he just had a better attitude, then God would have accepted the vegetables. But we know what faith means. Faith is not just a feeling. Faith is not just an attitude. God tells us, and we obey that. Faith, Romans chapter 10, cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. So how in the world did Abel know to take a lamb and offer it? Lucky guess? How did he know what to do with that lamb? Lucky guess? Or did God instruct them? Now, right away, there's two principles I want you to see. Number one, God does not accept all worship. Just because we throw up the name of Jesus, put Jesus in a song, have a little skit, put Jesus in there, does not mean God likes that. Here was two offerings to God. God accepted one. The other said, I will not regard that one. And then the second thing we see in, in, in importance, of, and so this shows us, reminds us how important it is to please God. In the book of 2 Corinthians 5, in verse 9, the apostle says, We make it our ambition, whether here or absent, to be pleasing to the Lord. Second thing we need to see is that we must be content. We must be satisfied with the way God wants to be worshipped. And that's the problem we face today. Because we always like to modernize things. Okay, we like to improve things. We like things to be more comfortable than that. Now, I'm going to have an illustration of that in just a little bit in our lesson. But when we think about the idea of improving things, changing things, we see that in life. Medicine has changed through the years. I mean, there's a time when the surgeon would just give you a stick and tell you to bite it as he cut your leg off. Okay, well, well aren't we thankful that things have improved since then? The way we communicate has improved. The way we travel has improved. So the question comes up, why don't we update worship? We have everything else. And it comes back to this idea that God has told us how to worship him. And so when we think about this concept of worship, worship is always defined by God. In Genesis 22, verse 7, as Abraham was told to go offer Isaac, as they're traveling to that spot, Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, My father, he said, Here I am, my son. He said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb? Specific. Why does it matter? Because God had said a lamb. When it comes to the Passover, before uh, Israel was let out in, in Exodus 12, notice five specifics about this verse. Your lamb, number one. Not your dog, not your cat. But me, I've offered a lot of snakes. Let's just eliminate them. No snakes. It has to be a lamb. Not just a lamb. It has to be a male lamb. Not a female lamb. Why does it matter? God defines. 
It doesn't have to be an annual lamb, especially old lamb. Here's old lamb over here, and he can barely walk. He's about to die, so let's offer him. No, that lamb's only one year old. See that specific? It's unblemished. And so what God is doing is he's telling Israel, and then when you walk through Leviticus and you look at all those sacrifices, you find statements like this over and over and over again about worship. And so worship is not just whatever I feel like I'm going to give to God. Worship is something that God has defined for us. Now, here's, here's the thing. This is, a, this is a picture of a lot of modern churches today. They got that big old rock concert going. A lot of smoke. Somebody this morning just talked about that. They've been to some different churches. And there's smoke and there's music. He says, it hurts my ears. Well, what's happened is there's been a shift in the move from worship from God-centered to feeling-centered to entertainment-centered. And what happens is this movement has turned worship into spectator rather than participant. I come and I watch a show. The show's about God, but I watch it. I am entertained. And when we think about the worship of God, we need to see how important it is to get this concept right. Let me read you something one writer said in this regard. He said, our worship services, our worship services should not be confused for a carnival or rock concert. The worship service is not the proper setting for screaming, whistling, clapping, stomping of feet in response to a speaker's message. We do not gather to pay homage to men, but to worship God. We do not assemble with the intent of being entertained or excited. We come to worship God. An outsider should be able to attend any of our worship services and see a marked difference between the worship of God and a concert. Our God is upon the throne, not a stage. And again, that helps us as we think about this. So as we begin this concept, we need to understand some words. What do we mean by worship? And so when we look at the concept of worship, most times the word worship is an action word, a verb in our Bibles. It's something you do. So it's not something you just sit there and watch. You know, you, you come in your house and your teenager's watching TV and you say, what are you doing? Nothing. Why are you doing it now? Nothing. I'm watching you. No. Worship is what you give to God. It's something you participate in. The, the word literally means to kiss forward. It's the idea of a knight coming before his king and bows down and kisses the hand of the king. And I'm going to give you several verses here in just a moment from the book of Psalms that gives that very idea of bowing before God. We bow within our hearts as we come to God. That is essential. Our English word comes from the Latin, which means worth-ship. It's about value, worth. What is your house worth? Well, you get an appraiser and he'll tell you. How much are you worth? And you can kind of go through financial evaluations and determine how much you are worth. Okay? And so when we think about worship, what we're asking is, how much does God mean to me? What is God worth to me? And that's the background and the concept of worship. Now let's go through and look at some Psalms here. Psalms 99 verse 5, exalt the Lord our God and worship at his footstool, holy is he. 
In Psalm chapter 95, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Today, if you would hear his voice. Chapter 5, but as for me, by your abundant loving kindness, I will enter your house at your holy temple. I will bow in reverence to you. What we're seeing here is a spirit, an attitude. God is great. God is awesome. God is holy. I'm not, so I bow before him. Once again, chapter 66, shout joyfully to the God, all the earth. Sing the glory of his name. Make his praise glorious. And we think of passages like Psalms chapter 34, where it says, Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. And so that's the concept as we think about worship. It's something you do. So tonight, you're sitting in the church building on a Sunday night. A lot of people wouldn't do that. So it does not mean I have worshiped God. No. No. And that's what I want us to see. When we think about worshiping God, it's from my inside out. Doesn't matter what songs are lent. Doesn't matter if I like the song. Doesn't matter who's preaching. Doesn't matter if I like that preacher or not. It's I and God. That's the concept of worship. So what we mean by this is anything that interferes with my insides is going to impact my worship. My attitude. So if I come in tired, I don't know how many times somebody has said to me this, oh, I'm so tired today. Of course, my, pet, my, my standard answer is if you're tired today and you're tired tomorrow, that means you're retired, aren't you? doesn't work that way, though, does it? doesn't work that way. But, 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 but if I come in and I'm tired, it's going to affect my worship, isn't it? And so what does that tell me about why, how I need to come to worship God? If I'm angry, if I'm mad at somebody, if I'm bored, if I'm distracted, if I'm bothered, all of those things affect us on the inside. Now, let me read you something that David Tomley wrote. He wrote this almost 20 years ago. He says, the problem of spiritual indifference truly exists among us. Among the Christians with whom you worship, are there those who are habitually tardy for worship? Are there adults and children who regularly are in zombie land on Sunday mornings because they are physically and mentally exhausted due to late hours on Saturday night? How would you describe the general situation, worship situation of your Sunday evening services? Sunday evening at 5 o'clock may be one of the most dangerous times of the week for Christians. While we're pleading with our people to attend every worship service, warning them that they may go to hell if they miss a service on Sunday nights, we who attend may be in equal or greater danger of God's judgment because of the apathy and indifference between what we are doing on Sunday nights. Are we having additional worship periods just to say we've had them? Or is there a legitimate purpose? And if there's a legitimate purpose, is it... Obvious to those who are there. Are there times when our attitudes we manifest in our singing becomes the strongest possible argument for instrumental music? Do our public prayers sometimes betray the mindlessness of the one leading the prayer? Do we whine about things that do not matter? Our insistence on being coddled and comfortable during worship requires the most utmost concentration of our intellect and deepest passions of our hearts. Our obsession for personal comfort and convenience during worship assemblies is a serious symptom of misplaced focus. 
What he's driving at is our insides toward him. Recently, my wife and I, well, excuse me, let me grab this real fast. Again, this, this is the opposite of those things. You have this anticipation, this preparation, and motivation. Those are the ways you get ready for worship. And again, we'll drive on that in just a moment. Recently, Debbie and I went to the Ryman Theater in Nashville, Tennessee. Ryman Theater was built in the 1890s. It started off as the Holy Tabernacle Church. And through the years, it was the home of the Grand Ole Opry. They have all kinds of concerts there. This is a picture of one of their pews, original pews from the 1890s. No pads, no backs other than just wood. You get there early for your concert, and a show lasts over two hours long sitting on those kind of seats. And as we went to a show recently, it, it crossed my mind, what if we had somebody in here preaching for two hours on those kind of seats? There'd be a demand for some updates. There'd be demand to pay some more money and get these things padded. But we throw it into a concert like that, and we just say, it's the historic nature of the rhyming. It's okay. When I first started preaching, somebody told me this. I think they're just trying to warn me as a young preacher, don't preach a long time. They said, the mind can only endure what the seat can. The idea is, if it gets kind of uncomfortable back here, they're not going to listen to you up here. And I wonder if we got that backwards. I wonder if we ought to be driven by the mind and not by the seat, not by the comfort. And so again, this concept of worship, to understand how valuable and important it is as we're doing what God wants us to do. So just sitting in the church building does not mean you have worshiped God. That's what I want you to see. We can satisfy ourselves because my neighbors didn't come. Many people who were here this morning did not come back tonight. So we satisfy ourselves. I'm doing right, but while I'm here, my mind's at work tomorrow. My mind's thinking about the schedule this week. My mind's on a million places, and I bowed my head. I said some words in a song, but have I worshipped the God of heaven and earth? And again, to see the value and the importance of this. In your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Malachi. Malachi chapter 1. I'm going to read you this in New American Standard. Then I'm going to read you a modern paraphrase of this. But in Malachi chapter 1, this was a problem with the last book of the Bible. And as people had forgotten the God there to worship. And so Malachi 1, verse 7, verse 8, the last book of the Old Testament, Malachi, it says, You are presenting defiled food upon the altar, but you say, How have we defiled you? And what you say, the table of the Lord is to be despised. But when you present the blind for sacrifice, is it not evil? And when you present the lame and sick, is it not evil? Why not offer it to your governor? Would he be pleased with you, or would he receive you kindly, says the Lord of hosts? What Malachi the prophet is bringing out there as the Lord speaks is simply, you're, you're just giving God the leftovers. And that's how your worship has sunk to. Now, Peterson wrote it this way. He says, I'm honored all over the world. And there are people who know how to worship me all over the world who honor me by bringing their best to me. They're saying it everywhere. God is great. This God of heaven and earth. All except you, Israel. Instead of honoring me, you profane me. 
You profane me when you say worship is not important. And what we bring to worship is of no account. And when you say, I'm bored, this doesn't do anything for me, you act so superior, sticking your noses in the air, act superior to me, the God of heaven and earth. And when you do not offer me something to me, it's a hand-me-down or broken or useless. Do you think I'm going to accept this? This is God speaking to you. And so again, it's a reminder of, as we think about this concept of worship that we understand who we're worshiping. One writer said it this way, if people find worship boring and irrelevant, it can only mean that they have no sense of the presence of God in their worship. When we study the action of worship in the Bible and the testimony of the early church history, we discover a variety of human responses to the sense of the presence of God. Through the responses differ, though the responses differ, one reaction we never find is boredom. It is impossible to be bored in the presence of God if you know that he is there. And so when we think about this concept of attitude, look in Colossians chapter 3. It's more than singing, okay? Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching, and monitoring one of the psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness. How many times have I sang, but I forgot the thankfulness? You see? We're talking about worshiping God. Over here, as we think about the idea of giving, each one must do just as he purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. How many times have I bought, dropped a check in that basket out there, that, that little bow out there, but I wasn't cheerful about it? See, worship is something that is between me and God and affects my attitude. That's why the psalmist was said, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. He's reflecting a spirit and an attitude about that. Now, let's consider this, if you will. Just go for a moment. Raise your hand if you've been a Christian more than 30 years. That's a lot of us, more than 30 years. If you've been a Christian for more than 30 years, You've attended at least 1,500 Sunday services. You have heard at least 1,000 sermons, at least. You have sang at least 7,000 prayers. You have communed 1,000 times. You have heard 10,000 prayers. And the question is, what has it done for me? And so when we think about this, it's more than just an obligation. I check it off my list. Here it is. I've done this. Do my duty like the military. It's more than a tradition. It's the idea of having the spirit to want to do what God wants us to do. So if you will, take your Bibles now. Turn with me to the book of Psalms, Psalms chapter 73. The psalmist in Psalm 73 helps us understand a little bit about the concept of worship. The chapter begins where the psalmist is confused. He says, surely, verse 1, God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet came close to stumbling, my steps almost slipped, I almost lost my faith. Here's why. For I was envious of the arrogant, as I saw the prosperity of the wicked. He says, and there was no pains in their death, and their body is fat. They're not in trouble as other men. Just yesterday, we were driving somewhere, and, and there's a car show getting ready to take place, and I've never seen so many Porsches in a row. Coming through Corridon, Indiana, all these Porsches. I'm not driving a Porsche. What do they have to do to get a Porsche? And how it is to be envious of that. Wish I had one of those, but I don't have one of those. 
I try to do what's right, and I can't get one of those. Here's a guy out there who's not trying to do what's right, and he has one. And so this is what the psalmist is saying. It's troublesome to me. I'm doing what's right, and this guy over here is not doing what's right, and his life is great, and my life looks like it's a mess as he looks at these things. He says in verse 14 of this section, he says, I've been stricken all day long and chastened every morning. Again, he says in verse 16, when I pondered to understand this, it was troublesome in my sight until we come to our verse today on the screen, verse 17, until I came into the sanctuary of God, then I perceived their end. Now, their end isn't their death because he talks about their death earlier. Their end is when they face God. That's what he's driving at. And so one thing worship does is it opens my eyes. It opens my eyes to what's really important in life. So I have a porch. So I have three Porsches. So I have the original Porsche that no one else has. Only one ever made, and I would own that. Jesus says, what does a prophet if you get have the whole world and forfeit your soul? What worship does, it reminds me what's really important. It opens my eyes, and we need that. Because the glitter of this world, what our friends are doing, it makes us wonder. But when we come to worship, we see this. And when our eyes are opened, it makes us be thankful to God. God is good to me as we sing that song. God has been helpful to me. God has been there for me. It makes us become humble. Why do I need all this stuff in the world? Because I have God. And what a difference that makes as we consider that. And then it it motivates us to righteousness. God has been so good to me, I want to be righteous with him. Writer Bobby Bobby Dockery said this. He says, the true worship has an impact on our daily lives. It changes a person's direction. It challenges dedication. It sharpens his decisions. True worship settles the mind and puts the heart at peace. Worships have created in us a, hu- a hunger and a thirst for righteousness, a panting after God and his word. Worship increases our knowledge of God and his word. It aids in the development of character. As we direct our worship toward the perfect Jehovah, we are developing a character like he is. It stirs up our zeal and strengthens our commitment. Again, that wonderful concept, what it does. A second thing that worship will do for us is that it connects us with others. Hebrews 2, verse 12, saying, I will proclaim your name to my brethren in the midst of the congregation. I will sing your praise. You are not the only one who bows to God. Voices blend together to say that. Hebrews chapter 10, let's hold fast our confession of hope without wavering. For he who promises faithful and let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembly together as is the habit of the Son, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. The great admonition of what worship can do for us. And then what it does, worship pleases God. Once again, in the book of Hebrews chapter 13, Through him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of our lips and give thanks to his name. So when we we ask the question, can I know how to worship God? We've got to understand what worship means. And it's not just sitting in the building watching somebody do something. Worship means giving my heart to God. Worship means thanking God. Worship is about me and God. That's the concept of worship. And so we look in our Bibles about this in Acts chapter 20. Very similar to that passage about the lamb. 
It tells us several things in this one verse about worship. On the first day of the week, Sunday. Why Sunday? Well, that's the day Peter preached, Acts 2. That's the day Jesus came out of the tomb, the end of the Gospels. Sunday is significant. Sunday is important. That's why we call it the best day of the week. On the first day of the week, when you're gathered together, you see that? All through 1 Corinthians 11, when Paul was talking about the Lord's Supper, he'd say, when you come together, when you come together as a church, there's something we need to do together. And one of those things is worshiping. To break bread, that's the Lord's Supper. You gather together to break bread. Paul began talking to them. That's the beginning of preaching there. And so when we get this idea, can I know what God wants me to do? And the answer is yes. Because it's laid out throughout the Bible. And we need to see how valuable that is. So let's end this evening with what I call the five E's of worship. If you're not familiar with these, I encourage you to write these down, especially in your Bibles. When you come to worship, you can kind of open this up and just remind yourselves of these. First one is to esteem God. God is so good. And you need to put God first in your life. Express his word. We do that through the preaching, through our lives, through our behavior, through our choices. We are expressing the word of God. We are to examine our hearts. We're to look inward. We realize that we need God every single hour. We are to entreat God's help, and that's where prayer comes in. As we reach out to God to pray for physical things and spiritual things. And then we need to encourage and enjoy First of all, being in the presence of God is not a scary thing when you're doing what God wants you to do and then to enjoy and encourage one another's presence because what a wonderful thing this is. And so can I know how to worship God? And I believe the answer is yes. A lot of people throughout the religious world today have left this point. A lot of people think it's all about now and fun and how much we can push the envelope. We need to see that we need to be looking backward, not forward, backward to the ancient gospel, to what God wants us to do. Let me end by reading something else here. It says, some church leaders are so eager to make everyone happy that they become obsessed with presenting a safe and gentle Christianity. They've defanged the tiger of truth, they've tamed the lion, and silenced the call for change. Now they make Christianity sensible, platable, and even comfortable. Our world is seeing a people whose God is tame and lifeless. The world desperately needs to see a God who is big and holy and frightening and powerful and alive and gentle and tender. A God who splits the earth open. A God who divides the sea. A God who made the sun stand still. A God so powerful yet so caring that his attention is drawn to the death of a small bird. A God whose love so mystifies us that we race to his side where he showers us with blessings of forgiveness and acceptance. A God whose voice thunders, come unto me. A God who's so unlike the world around us that only in him can we find true joy and lasting hope. A God who's so special and so unique that he is worth changing our lives for. Our God is not a trinket. He's not confined to a box, a building, or a nation. Great is our God. Great is his message. Great are his promises. And great is what he expects from each of us. We have gathered this evening to worship God. And so as we think about this lesson, I hope it reminds you, every time I walk in here, it's not about just seeing my friends. That's, that's valuable. That's important. It's not about just catching up with everybody. That's good. And that's important. It's not just about the singing. It's not about just the prayers. 
It's about what am I giving to God? Imagine there's a party. Everyone is invited. Everyone's to bring a gift. And you showed up without a gift. That's what happens to worship when I don't give to God. And so through this lesson, I hope it reminds us of our place in worship and to understand how great our God is. What an what a awesome opportunity it is. Can you imagine anywhere else in the world? Can you imagine the President of the United States wanting to listen to me? I don't have any time for you. Can you imagine a football coach saying, and before the game starts, I say, hey, can I have 10 minutes to talk to you? Why would I want to talk to you? But the God of heaven says, your worship to me is like sweet aroma going to heaven. I want you to pray to me. I want you to bow down to me. I want you to follow me. I love it when you worship me. And so that concept keeps us before us. We're always pulled by the world today to try to redefine worship and make it better and change it, but we need to just go back to the old Bible way and do what God wants us to do. Stephen, if you've got questions about this lesson, we'd be happy to sit down with you, open the Bible, and see some more things in detail about this. But may it set before us that yes, indeed, I can know what pleases God. I know that because he's told me. If you've never been baptized, you need to for remission of your sins. If you need some prayers, we're here as a family to help you and to pray for you. Won't you come as we stand, as we sing?